Um, I'm ancient and I've got six kids and I also work for the church. Mum. Oh. Um, we're Mom. in a series of looking at Mom. what we're building. We're not looking at what we build just in us, but the church. And bitterness, brokenness, disappointment. So we're in a series of looking at what we're building. Not only in the church and in us. Jealousy, pain, judgment, anger. So, we'll leave the ear defenders and the glasses till a bit later. So, I am Cheryl, and I do work for the church, and I am 47, and I've got six children, um, if you didn't know. <laughs> um, we're in this series, which I've already said twice, uh, about looking at what we're building. Um, not just in us, the church and the church, but also in the city and the world. And we've been using this idea of seven mountains of influence, and sometimes they're called spheres of influence. And if you haven't heard the teaching before, I'd encourage you to read some more about it, but this is a summary. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to have an influence and an impact in the world, although I'm sure you all knew that. We're called to be full-time ministers in the kingdom of God. There is no sacred and secular divide. So, if you hadn't already gathered, I'm here to talk about family. If I was to ask every single person here to tell a story of their family, boy, would we get a special range of those. Most of us would like to be, and this is showing my age, or maybe my mother's age, because it's what she watched on the telly. She watched the Waltons. I think she wanted us to be a bit like the Waltons. But sometimes we're a little bit like, or a lot like, the Adams family. See, again, showing my age. My girls would probably like us to be from Little House on the Prairie. That's the Ingalls family. But frankly, I've never fancied that kind of life. All the frocks and the bonnets and whatever. So some of us wouldn't want to talk about our family story because it's a brokenness that feels like it stands out or the shame and it's still painful for us. The reality is that all our stories contain disappointment. My family story contains rejection, divorce, alienation, betrayal, adultery, hopelessness, abandonment, mental and physical illnesses. And along with those, there has been beauty and love and faith and fun, fidelity, hope and provision. Maybe you've even got to the point where you think it can't be possible for, you, for God to use your past or even your wider families because of the pain. So in all stories, there are good and bad bits, but the whole story is one that belongs to God. And it's one of redemption and restoration. I love this, which comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you haven't got one, you probably need to get one because it's absolutely brilliant. Now, some people think that the Bible is full of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think that the Bible is a book full of heroes showing people that you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it. 
But most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes and sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away. And at times they're just downright mean. The Bible is not a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far off country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne and everything to rescue the one he loves, which, spoiler, is me. Well, you can come be in on that as well. But It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. The wonderful thing about God's story is that it's our story too. For me, one of the most beautiful descriptions of how our story is wound into God's by God himself is found in Isaiah chapter 61. And it says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. And they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Have you ever been poor or brokenhearted or captive by lies that you have believed or still believe? In darkness, lost, grieving, and even desperate. God says, I will take all that brokenness that will no longer be your identity, and call you a tree. Well, not any old tree, an oak tree, because that's always been at the top of our list of things to be called. Did you know that an oak tree supports more life forms than any other native tree? Hundreds of species of insects, birds, and mammals. Depending on the type of oak, it can take 40 years to produce fruit and is considered youthful until it's 120. They even shorten with age to extend their lifespan, which must be exactly what's happening to me because I'm sure that I've lost at least an inch. Can you see yourself as an oak tree supporting and sharing your life with people to the extent that impacts hundreds of people? You can't? Well, God can. After the tree bit, Isaiah goes on to say that the ones who are called trees will rebuild and restore places of devastation and ruin, including cities that have been impacted generationally. That is a huge deal. He must have great trust in us. We're not only healed from our pain, but we're called to be an example of God's healing. Because you really can't miss an oak tree, can you? So God's calling you to be an oak tree, and there is no disqualification, and none of you at all can tell me that you're not called to be an oak tree because everybody has has experienced some disappointment or failure or sadness or pain. 
his calling also means that it's not okay to stay hidden in the dark ground as an acorn. Maybe if you're struggling to see any fruit right now, now you are less than 40 or even 120. We're not being a witness just to our immediate family and friends, but also to the city that we live in alongside all those people whose lives you touch every single day. Sharing our own story of restoration and reconciliation. Now, some of you are probably wondering why we're still talking about trees and we haven't talked about family. But we need a restored, God-inspired picture of what family life can be like. And it's pretty difficult to have one if we don't believe that it's never too late with a redemptive God and we hide our story in darkness. If we don't recognize, particularly that our foundations are broken, it can make life, the life that we build on top pretty wobbly. And we can fall into the trap that we can only be used in God's story if we've sorted our lives out or if our lives appear to be perfect. You know, I've got a dream. The children would not feel like they have to leave home to be themselves and to walk out their calling and destiny. Of course, it doesn't mean that they can't go. You see, sometimes, and that includes me when it comes to uh, children leaving home and leaving their families and their destiny, that I felt like that's what people needed to do. That was the only way. But that was because of my own experience and because plenty of people I'd met. But I begin to dream, began to dream when somebody asked me a question as to whether this was possible. That maybe the family could look like it could be so whole and it could be so discipling that children are not driven away. You see, sometimes we're brought into the lies that the world tells us about our families, whatever you consider your family to be. What about the lies we believe about babies? They never sleep. But toddlers are terrible, and let's not get started on teenagers. What would it look like if our families were full of the kingdom of God, that he was wholly at work in our family? There would be no pain, no lack, no manipulation, no suffering, no fear, no discouragement, No gossip, no mocking, no controlling behavior, no sickness. Only love, encouragement, empowerment, truth, provision, and freedom. What would that family look like to the city of Worcester and to the world? Now, some of you think this is impossible, and I really understand why. But we do have tools of reconciliation and restoration. And that's hope versus hopelessness. And boy, does our city need hope. And we all need hope. I loved what Steve and Wendy Backland said. Um, They came to speak to us for a number of days last year. And they said, um, they shared a quote from a book by Francis Frangipan. What a name, man. Um, And it says, If every area of our life is not glistening with hope, It means we are believing a lie of the enemy. And that area is a stronghold of the enemy. Hope is a confident, joyful expectation that good is coming. It's an overall optimistic attitude about the future based on the goodness and promises of God. 
A perspective of hope is a good indicator of maturity in God. If there's going to be breakthrough and change, somebody has to have hope. We believe our hope level determines our influence level. And we believe there are no hopeless circumstances, no matter what you believe. But there are only hopeless people. Not meaning that people are hopeless, but that actually they are without hope. Once people get hold of hope, their circumstances cannot possibly change, stay the same. It's a key for us to know, oh, am I losing me? If we're being deceived in an area of life. Because that recognition is the beginning of a journey to let go of lies and believe truth so that we'll be free. So just for a moment, if you just close your eyes and just ask Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit, whoever you're most comfortable with, are there any areas of my life that are not glistening with hope. (coughs) And you can repeat this after me or you can say it to yourself. Father God, what lie am I believing about you? And Father God, what is the truth? You know, when I asked God what lie I was believing and about that, or the areas of my life that were not glistening with hope, I was slightly overwhelmed. It's not a question that we should be afraid of because he wants to bring revelation to us. In Romans 5, 3 to 4, it says, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. I think I might need to do some work in this area. Another stop moment. Um, If you could just stand up for a minute because it's easier to do standing... Well. If you don't want to, don't. So, if you can stand and close your eyes without falling over, if you can close your eyes. Imagine in front of you that there is a circle. It could be as big or small as you want. In that circle... You are fully who you are made to be. You are living in right relationships with the people in your world, in your sphere. You are living in the fullness of the calling that God has given you. You are working in your sphere of influence in this circle to bring the kingdom of God. You believe the truth about God, 
and you believe God's truth about you. Now take a step into the circle. And ask yourself this question. What is stopping you from living there? Thank you. If you want to take your seat. So let's talk about culture of families. So I'm never going to tell you that your family culture should look like mine. Because apart from anything, I've got six kids. But I would, I did think I'd tell you some things that contribute to ours. Now some of these things are accidental. But most of them we've uh, pursued to create a healthy family culture. And also, um, please don't think that we've been doing these for 30 years, because some of them are new, and some of them we've been doing for a long time, and um, some of them, uh, yeah, don't be deceived into thinking we're nailing them either, because um, they're things we value, and then they're with things that we think God values for us. So, we recognize in our family that words are powerful, so we try to use them to encourage people, to heal people, and not hurt them. We value time together, so we eat together, we watch movies together, and we play board games. We say sorry, and we ask for forgiveness. Now, this isn't just for kids. In fact, mostly it's not for the kids. Mostly it's for the adults. Well, you know, it is for kids, but actually it's us as grown-ups who need to model it. I have no childhood memory of any adult saying sorry to me. Now, that's not to say that nobody said sorry to me. It's just I don't remember it. And actually, when I was about 21, a friend of mine said sorry to me, and it completely rocked my world because I had no comprehension that this was a possibility other than my mother making me say sorry to my brother or my brother being made to say sorry to me. We honor that we have individual gifts, callings, and personalities by not treating everyone exactly the same. We value people, so we invest the resources we have in people, and that includes our time. It also includes our energy, our money, and our cake, or any food, actually. We are hospitable. We share the home and the resources that God has given us. And we're generous, particularly with cake, it would seem, as that's a bit of a mark of City Church's generosity and hospitality, I think. And we are, we're generous with all the resources that God's given us. This has also meant that for us, if we have something that we no longer need, we try to give it away and not sell it. We homeschool, which really has not got a lot to do with education. We state school, which also hasn't really got anything to do with education. We do not overschedule our lives, and we don't value busyness. We try to honor God with the way we live. We value being part of City Church, so we arrange our weekend around being able to get here. 
We are grateful for the contributions of people who input into our lives. Friends, families, teachers, doctors, people who provide goodness to us. The people who serve us both in this church, in other churches in the city, and in the community. And so we take our time to express that appreciation to them. We value reading books and stories, and we value what they have to teach us. A quote, which is attributed to G.K. Chesterton. Fairy tales are more than true. Not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be defeated. We do feelings. It's okay to have them, big or small. But it's not okay to hit your mother. Again, before you think we're like this all the time, there have been some pretty ugly moments in my house in the last few weeks. And that's just being the adults. But the point is that there's still things that we value. Some days are such a struggle that we have to have a dance party in the kitchen. After I wrote down these things that we value, I asked some friends that I've had for 30 years what they would identify as part of our family culture, and this is what they said. Making time for people, investing in relationships, forgiveness, laughter, honesty, facing issues, being real, being generous, holding lightly to material things, being brave, inclusive, and acknowledging and celebrating people's differences. Freedom from fear and freedom from people-pleasing. Welcome, love, honesty, respect, release, joy, celebration, gentleness, generosity, hospitality, and just a tiny bit of madness. Actually, the last one's wrong, because there's a lot of it. So just a word about my friends. They're good friends. I've had them a long time. But they're not the kind of friends that are just going to tell you that kind of stuff because they want to make you feel better. They're the kind of people that don't always agree. They're the kind of people who are brave and say, are you really on the right track? Is that really what God's saying to you? They're not just the kind of people. They're not just so amazing that they're just friends with everybody. And I'm not so amazing that I'm friends with everybody. But... They are people who are committed to relationship. And so when there's a hump in the road and when it's difficult, they climb over and they say, we're going to get close because the hump doesn't really matter or our disagreements don't matter or our perspectives don't always matter. Think about what you would like your family to be known for and put some effort into it. God has called each one of us to be faithful to the story that he is partnering with us in. It won't look like anyone else's, and it will come with its own set of challenges. If we're persistent in following him, we will see our lives used for him in a completely unique and beautiful way. But equally, having our own family culture doesn't give us an excuse to be sloppy and negligent in our relationships with our family or with anybody else for that matter. So what can we do to impact our family culture positively and bring in the kingdom of God? So for me, it comes down to these three things, which I think are terribly convenient, um, because they all begin with a P. Pain, position, and prayer. So pain and dealing with it, whatever its origin is, but particularly in relation to your earthly family, or my earthly family, actually. 
When we deal with our pain, it becomes a foundation to build on or growing from. Like, back to the whole tree thing. Oh, uh, sunglasses and ear defenders. The pain that we have can cause us to hear things and see things wrongly. Maybe you always think think that people are negative with you. Maybe you can only see other people reaching out to other people and not actually reaching out to you. Maybe you think you're the most reasonable person on the planet, but people react badly to you all the time. Maybe your pain has caused you um, to be offended and to hold that offense and that it, it is a filter to lots of other people who reach out to you. Maybe I talked about glistening hope. When I talked about glistening hope, you identified a lie you were believing. Obviously, not all filters are bad or negative. They can be things like great family, culture, nationality, language, personality. When we deal with our pain, it means we can relate to each other in a way that more truly represents a life that has our baggage laid at the feet of Jesus with courage and that reflects our true Jesus identity. What we shouldn't do is run. When I was a kid, I planned to run away a number of times. In fact, I can picture it now, standing in the kitchen, looking out into the darkness, feeling that my mother had been unreasonable about something and that I probably needed to leave. I probably didn't get round to it because um, it was probably too cold or too dark. But when I was 18, I ran away in the guise of training to be a nurse. I ran from the thing that I thought was causing me the most pain, and that was my family. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? Running, hiding, building walls from our pain and our hurt and our fears. Even Jonah in the Bible did it, and God sent him big fish to get him back on track. Well, God kindly did not send me a big fish, but he did send me a revelation. Oh, and it was this. I had generations of fractured relationships in my family. And I realized that because of the beautiful way that God has designed parents to disciple their children, I had learned all the skills to repeat the pattern. See, God's designed our family to reflect the nature and character of God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's designed family to teach us where to get our self-worth from, our significance, and our security. He's designed family to be an example and, a, um, and to disciple us in all things, including relationships. I also realized that I needed a lot of re-educating in, re-educating in the area of relationship. And how was I going to do that? Because I was pretty baffled because I actually didn't really know what was wrong. I just knew what the results were going to be. So how could I replace my wrong thinking, my belief patterns, and difficult relationship skills? The way I pursued re-educating myself and dealing with my pain 30 years ago was to read. Initially, I read books about marriage, even though I wasn't actually in a relationship, which was probably a really good thing. Now, I know not everyone likes to read, and some people find it really challenging, But it doesn't really matter how you absorb the information, there's a way. For example, you could listen to audiobooks or podcasts. 
You should read all sorts in whatever medium works for you. You don't have to agree with everything in every genre, but because apart from anything else, you have your glasses on and your ear defenders on, you should look for the gold in them, something that you can take away and use. Part of dealing with pain is re-education, but also about positioning yourself. And I did that by positioning myself alongside other people. I watched them, not on YouTube. Because I'm a bit old for that. Um, I watched people and how they related to one another in their relationships and in their families. And I listened to people's stories. At different stages of my life, I've been really blessed to have role models in my life that have been further on in their journey than I have. But there have been times when I've had none. And they could, but you can always find a good role model in a book, including the Bible. We can learn from different people the different ways that they do things. And this can apply to all sorts of areas. How people do their jobs, if you have the same job as them. How a person pursues God. How does a family do family? How does a person speak to a child? Role models don't have to mirror your family. If you see something in them and you think, yes, I'd love to see that in my life or my family, you can reach out and connect with them. Years ago, we heard of something that a family called the Youngs did, which is a family that, um, that some of us know here. And they also had, I think, six children. Um, they had come to the conclusion that, the, that in their life, they would probably not be able to afford any um, overseas holidays or um, you know, special trips like that. Um, and they resolved to save their money and take each one of their children on a special holiday when they were a teenager to some extent of, to a place of their, that child's choice. Now, it was a really long time ago that we heard about this. And so I began to kindly uh, talk to Pete or badger him about um, the possibility that we could do that because that's what it looked like to us, I think, Possibly we might have only had four kids at the time when we heard about it. And um, we just thought, we grasped hold of that vision and thought, what a great idea. And so we made space in our budget and, and also in our time, because if one, it's a case of one adult going with one child, so the other, the other adult gets the joy of staying behind with the, all the other kids. Um, so it's a sacrifice on a lot of levels. But we, that's not something that's part of our family culture. But we thought, yeah, we can, that would be such a great thing to do. Now, it doesn't have to be a foreign trip. It can be a trip. It can fit whatever fits your family. I loved what Helena Croft said. Do you know, I can't remember whether I tre- checked it was Helena Croft. Is that her surname? It is her surname. Phew. I just thought then, maybe she wasn't called that. <laughs> Um, anyway, she spoke a few weeks ago. She was brilliant. And if you have a chance the, the, and you haven't listened to the talk, you can't listen to it on the website, but you can get copies of the talk from the office. She said, improve yourself, upskill yourself, educate yourself, which is all about positioning. They apply to every single one of us, no matter what our sphere of influence. Some of the areas that I proactively learned about that have helped me, not only with my pain, but in the area of family, are... Psychology, you need a lot of psychology to go with six kids and a husband. Um, Cooking, relationships, personality type, child development, special educational needs, psychotherapy, attachment, God, his nature and his character, 
church history, therapeutic parenting, sozo, dyslexia. Now, yours are going to be different because of your spheres of influence. But I don't think it ever does any harm to understand ourselves and the people around us. Third P is prayer. Get some. When I was doing a discipleship training school with Youth with a Mission, I had loads of prayer ministry, mainly because there was always ministry alongside the teaching. Because it's not just about hearing stuff. It's about applying it to our lives. That was a long time ago. Here at City Church, we have a Sozo ministry. Now, I told my kids I wasn't going to say anything about a Sozo ministry, but I lied. There you go. <laughs> Which is a ministry of identifying the wounds and the lies that we have that prevent us from connecting with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And it's the most remarkable ministry. And it's a real privilege to belong to the team. Now, of course, God is on, in all of this. And he's been gracious and merciful to me when I have run, hid, built walls, refused to look at my pain, ignored him even when he was positioning me and refusing to have prayer. Oh boy, have we all been there refusing to have prayer because we're all right, thanks. Because God is always at work. You might be thinking, flipping heck, there's a lot to do here, isn't there? You bet, yeah, there is. Because in Isaiah it says, they will rebuild the walls. That's not God. That's the people. The trees, actually. Building takes effort. And more than one stubbed toe and one cut hand. And you need to build on solid foundations or have a good network of tree roots. A plan before you build would be helpful. You know, it might take more than one try in restoring a relationship. It might take more than one try at drawing near instead of pointing the finger. It doesn't really matter what your family looks like. If you're single, if you have kids, or you don't, or if your life feels less like a plan and more like a train wreck. Because God loves you with a wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The work in partnership with God is worth it for a person to be transformed from a generational devastation into a display of splendor. But not only that, but because we provide a firm foundation for the generations that follow, because we are the people who are raising Esther's and Joshua's. We're raising Daniel's and Deborah's. We're raising the Mary's of this world. If we're going to bring the good news of the kingdom in the area family, into our city, we need to be active in our own families with a God-given vision of what it can look like and not accept whatever the status quo is at the moment. We can partner with God. You see, in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. When I think of the kingdom of God coming in our city in the area of family, I have a vision of the unloved being loved, people learning about healthy relationships and having safe people who practice that wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. Relationships restored. Children in safe and loving homes with people who love them and are committed to bringing them a hope 
and a future. Whether those people are birth families or not. I see marriage relationships healed. I see hope and reconciliation and restoration being spoke by counsellors and health professionals and any person who is carrying a kingdom into their place of work and influence. I see vulnerable people being valued and having people alongside them who can see the gold in them because any fool can see rubbish. God is going to do these things every single day by us walking alongside people with great hope and love and healing. We're not going to be just preaching a message because we're carrying ourselves. Maybe today you're not feeling much hope or love for yourself or your family. Maybe you are too afraid to even even take a peep at the pain for fear of being overwhelmed. Maybe you know you're doing things which are making your own life really difficult and you feel powerless to change. Maybe you are tired of trying and can't work out why your relationships are so challenging. Maybe you say you struggle to find um, a way of saying sorry to anyone. Maybe you think it's too late for you. Maybe you're not kind to people. Maybe you're not kind to your kids, whether they're little or adults. And your parenting tools seem to be only fear and control. Maybe you realize you can't get close to people. And while you might have thought for most of your life that it's everybody else's fault, a small candle has been lit in you recently that has given you an inkling that it might be your pain that is alienating you. Um, When I was preparing, I had a picture of leaping salmon going up a river. Down the river was pretty easy, going with the flow. Going up the river to the spawning ground is pretty difficult because apart from anything, there's bears. The salmon are going home. They're going home to fulfill their purpose, their identity, and their destiny. Because going home isn't about being trapped in this picture. It's about freedom to be who you are. And it's about finding healing when you revisit family. It would be um, our privilege to pray for you if you feel that um, God is putting his finger on anything in your life. Um, And even if uh, none of the things that I've said resonate with you in any way, we would still love to pray for you and prophesy over you to encourage you. Um, Ash and Earth. Ash and the worship team are, um, are going to lead us in some worship. And if you like ministry, then if you'd like to come up. Um, a word about people who are going to pray for you. Um, if the people who I'm part of team, a team with, like the prophetic team or um, the Sozo team, would like to come and pray for people, that's great. But also, if you, um, you're comfortable with praying for people, then do come up. 
And also, if you're not comfortable with praying for people and you think, no, I'm never going to do that because I don't know what I'm doing, if you come up and position yourself, then somebody else, you can learn from somebody else what they're doing and um, you can hear what they're doing. It doesn't mean you have to say anything or do anything dramatic. It just means that you can be closer and you can hear what what God is doing. Um, So yeah, I'll just hand over to Ash for now.